The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it is good to finally be able to be at church again. It feels like we haven't been here um, in forever, man. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here um, on this series. We, we started this three weeks ago, and then we had to kind of take pause on it for just a minute. But the series is called Are You In? Are You In? And, and we basically, this, it's asking this question, hey, God's doing some amazing things here at Morningstar Baptist Church. And, man, there's some awesome momentum and some things that are happening but it takes everybody to be a part of that. And so we're asking this question of, are you going to be a part of this? And on your seat, you have this, this card here that asks that question, is, are you in? And I don't want you guys doing anything with it now. But here's what I do ask that you do. I want you to take it home. And I want you to pray over this. Because for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be finishing out this series. And I want you asking God these questions that are here on the back. We're talking about our giving. We're talking about our serving. We're talking about our time. And what is it that God has for you this year? Because I, I firmly believe that he has some huge and amazing plans for Morningstar Baptist Church. But he also has some huge and amazing plans for you. And so what is it that God has? And so just take these home and pray over them. We're going to do something with these in a couple weeks. Um, and we'll have extras in case you lose yours. So I know that's going to happen. So don't worry about that. Um, but we did talk about the first week. We talked about we were inspired by our past. But we're passionate about our future. We're passionate about what God's going to do. We, and we want this to be a place where someone sees Jesus because we're doing the right things. Because we are in the right place. And it's all part of this big puzzle, all right. And I don't know if you ever put a, put a puzzle together before. But when you put a puzzle together, even if you're missing like one piece, even if it's not in the middle of the puzzle, maybe it's like the water piece or the road or something like that. When you look at that puzzle, what does your eye immediately go to? It goes to the one piece, you're, it could be a 5,000 piece puzzle, but your eye's going to go to the one piece you're missing. And what I want us to understand is everybody in here this morning, everybody that's a part of our church, we're all pieces of that puzzle. And everybody is vital. It takes everybody doing a role. It takes everybody doing what God has gifted us to do to make this thing work. And that's why that first week we said, hey, we need 100% engagement with what we're doing. It's going to take everybody playing their part and doing their part. And so this week is session two. Like the last couple of weeks we did have some, we had some video series uh, that we kind of talked around this issue, but now we're getting right back into it. So this week the question is this, is what does it mean to go on this faith journey and to let our finances be a part of that? What does it mean to go on this faith journey and let our finances and our treasure be a part of that? And I get it, sometimes it's awkward <laughs> to talk about money in church. And if you're a guest with us, you might be thinking, great, the one Sunday I go to church and the pastor's talking about money. I knew this was going to happen, right? And I get that. Here's the deal. We don't always talk about money. We really don't. In fact, I've been here for seven months. This is the first message we've had on money. But it's, it's, it's going to be like, unlike a message you've ever heard before on money. Because it's really not about our money. It's really about our treasure. And it's really about our faith and how our faith is tied to that, I, pastors say all the time that number one people hate to hear about in church is money. Because, but here's the deal we believe that our heart is so tied to our faith and our treasure is so tied to our heart that honestly, we're out of proportion if we don't talk about it at least every now and then. Because Jesus talked about it a lot. 
I don't know if you've read the New Testament at all, the first four Gospels. Jesus talks about money and treasure a lot, a lot more than what we might be even comfortable with. But I hear, I, let's, let's, let's break the ice a little bit with this money thing because you guys have already gone really dead silent on me, right? You're like, <gasps> money, all right. So, hey, if you have a piece of money, pull it out, all right. I'm not taking an offering, but if you have a, maybe you have a quarter, maybe you've got a dollar, five dollar bill, 20, pull it out. I promise you we're not going to collect it, all right. But I want you to look at it, okay. So here's the deal. I have a one dollar bill, all right, because that's all I had in my pocket right now. I've got a one dollar bill, all right. Does anybody have anything bigger? Anybody have like a 20 or a 10? Anybody have a, anything bigger? You have a 10? All right. Hey, can, I'm going to trade you, okay? No, come on. I, I'll give you a $1 down. Oh, we got a credit card. <laughs> Here, let me see. I'll trade you. This, you hold on to this, and I promise I'll give you your 10 back. All right? That's a good trade, right, Ann? Okay. So, right, so, hey, look at your bill. I want you to look at this because something that's very interesting, all right? On the front of your bill, there's going to be a little statement, all right? A little tiny print, and it says this. It says, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private, all right? I thought that was pretty interesting. That, look, this is, um, this is um, a, a bill, this is how we pay our debt, all right? And I don't know if, if our founding fathers, that they ever thought when they were coming with this idea of how we we're going to do our money, if they realized how much debt the average American would actually be in. They say that the average American is actually around $34,000 in debt, the average American family. That's just auto loans and credit cards. That's not anything else. $34,000 in debt. And so here's the deal. It says this is legal tender. They have to put that on there for a whole other sermon for a different time. It's because we're no longer backed by gold anymore. This is just a piece of paper now. So I'm going to keep your piece of paper $10, right? And so all right, this is just a piece of paper. It's not backed by anything anymore. So they put that on there, the government does, to understand that this counts to pay debts. Whether you go to the grocery store and you use it or you actually pay uh, your debts with it. But on the back of it, look on the back of your bill. No matter what denomination bill you have, on the back of the bill it says this. It says the phrase, in God we trust. On this $10 bill, it's right here at the top. You're on whatever denomination it might be on the bottom. But it says, in God we trust. And I think that's really interesting that we put that phrase on our money. Because we're saying that phrase, now here's what that phrase means. It means God, in God we trust, and we put it on our money. The idea was this, is that we're going to trust God with everything, including our treasure as a nation. We're going to trust God with our money. So let me ask us this question. Let's get really, really serious for just a moment. When it comes to me and you, is that a lie for us? Is that really true? Or for some of us, should maybe we scratch that out on the back of our money because for us it might not be true. That we trust God with everything. And listen, I, we trust God with our salvation, don't we? With our eternity of whether we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. We, we trust the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. We trust God with, with our families. But when it comes to this, that little phrase is hard, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do. Like, do we really trust it or do we, do we not? And when we look at this faith journey, I want to talk about this idea of trust. It's because we put our money, as, as just human nature, we always put our money where our trust is. And so this morning I want to look at just a couple principles today. And then we're going to talk about some really practical steps that we can all take. But the first principle is this, is that we don't give financially to grow financially. 
I want you to get that. We don't give financially to grow financially. There's a lot of churches. There might be a lot of TV preachers out there. And maybe you've even heard them. If you, if you, if you give $100 to this ministry, God's going to send you 1000 if you give $20 to this ministry, God's going to double that. He's going to, give, he's going to triple that. If you just trust God, he's going to give you more money. Listen to me, church. I don't want anybody in our church ever being deceived. Look at me. That is a lie. That is not biblical. There is nowhere in Scripture where the Bible says if you give $100 to this church or that preacher or that ministry, that God's going to double it or triple it. That's not in the Bible. Don't ever fall for that. It's just not true. We don't give to God and expect God's going to make us rich. You know why that doesn't work? <laughs> because when we give to God, God doesn't owe us anything. He's not like, oh, man, John just gave me $100. I better do something for him. That's, that's not how God works. God doesn't owe me and he doesn't owe you anything. So don't ever give with the idea of how I'm going to give this and God's going to double it or triple it. I'm going to get rich. That's, there's no get-rich-quick scheme in the Bible. But there is a principle at play. There is a giving principle that when we understand the order of giving, when we understand the order of our finances, going back to Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we understand that everything belongs to God and doesn't really belong to us, there is a principle that happens. What happens is we set ourselves up to better manage our money and our treasure. And when we set ourselves up to better manage our money and our debt and our treasure, then we set ourselves up to be blessed. Not to get rich, but to be blessed. And blessings come in all shapes and sizes, not always with money. We don't do it for a financial blessing. We do it for a spiritual blessing. Because we don't give to grow financially. We give to grow spiritually. Look, you, you might die poor and sick. I might die poor and sick, not a penny to my name. And look at me, that does not mean you did something wrong in this life. To die poor and sick does not mean you did something wrong. And to die wealthy and healthy does not mean you did something right. That's not God's economy. Do you realize that a lot of our founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, do you realize that most of them died penniless and broke? Not because they did something wrong, but because they believed in the cause they were fighting for. And they invested all of their treasure in setting up a nation that was founded on God, under God, and under his teaching. And they believed in it so much, they gave everything they had to make it happen. They died penniless, not because they did something wrong. So don't get this idea that when I, if I'm wealthy, I'm doing something right. If I'm poor, I'm doing something wrong. That's not how God works. When we're able to give, though, when we're able to do more to reach our local community, when we're able to do more to reach more teenagers, when we're able to do more to reach more seniors, when we're able to do more to impact more people through our worship, when we're able to give more to support even more missionaries and more missions projects and even send people to go on missions trips, when we do that, we give to grow spiritually. And some of you, I get it, some of us, we have some weird backgrounds when it comes to giving. Some of us maybe have grown up in, a, in an era or a time where it was just, it was just hammered on. If you don't give, God's going to be mad at you. If you don't give this much, God's going to be mad at you. If you don't give it this way, on this day, in this amount, in this envelope, you're not doing it right. And so we come from this legalistic background of how and what and when. And so when we talk about giving... You might even be a part of that, but you give, but there's no joy in your giving. 
you don't give and you're like, man, I'm excited to invest in this. We almost give because we're like, man, it was hammered into me that I have to do this. And we miss out on what it means to grow spiritually by having our faith connected with our treasure. Some of you, maybe you've never really considered or even had this conversation where money is tied to your faith. You've never been talked to about that. And I believe, listen, it's one of the most exciting and revealing things about our heart when we talk about our giving. In fact, in Scripture, listen, there's only one shortcut to growing spiritually. And if you're, if you're like me, I love shortcuts. Man, if there's an easier way to do something or a quicker way to do it, I'm going to do it. And if you're honest, you're probably just like that. In Scripture, there is a shortcut to growing spiritually. There's a fast track you can get on, and it's actually found in Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there in your Bibles. It will be up here on the, on the screen. And here's what it is. It says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And I'm going to read the passage here in just a minute, but it, the idea is that I can get my heart in line with God spiritually just by investing and, and taking care of my treasure? Absolutely. Because the Bible says, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching this sermon. And part of it, he stops here and he, he kind of parks here on giving. He says in verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But in verse 20, it says, store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where the thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, he's like, look, if this is, if this is our treasure and I put my treasure over here, then guess what? That's where my heart's going to be. If, if my treasure goes over here to this place and I'm, I'm pouring my treasure over here, that's where my heart's going to be. So the idea is this. If I take my treasure and I say, God, what, is it, what do you want me to do with my treasure? What do you want me to do with my money, my time, my energy, all the things that you've blessed me with? Where do you want me to put that? And I seek God first in that, then my heart is naturally going to follow there. And so really it comes down to this idea, is, is my treasure, am I keeping it here for me or am I sending it ahead to heaven? He says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Because we all have a choice to walk through this life like this. We can either walk through our life with our hands open. God, whatever you put in my hands, I'm going to be a good steward, a good manager of this. And I want you to be able to pour out your blessings on me so that your blessings can flow through me. Or we can walk through life like this. It's mine. And I've got it. And I'm holding it safely right here. If I walk through life like this, that means my treasure is me. When I walk through life like this, I say, God, it's not mine. It's yours. And we can walk through life like this or we can walk through life with our hands open. And then it says in, in verse 24, to finish out this, this little passage right here, it says no man can serve two masters. Because either you're going to hate the one and love the other or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When I, when I, when I go through life like this and I'm like, I'm going to tuck my, got it in there tight, got it like this, guess what, I'm serving me. And my money controls me. And there's a lot of us this morning where our money controls us. Where I can go through life like this. Say, God, it doesn't belong to me anyway. It's your treasure. It's not mine. And God, I just want you to be a conduit. I want to be a conduit where you can flow through me. Then what that means is I'm not serving me, serving God. 
My heart's not here. My heart is with the things of God. And so, look, the idea is this. There's only, look, the people, most of us, and myself included, when we get awkward, when we talk about money, most of the time it's because we've never really stretched ourselves to give. We've never really stretched ourselves to invest our treasure in the things of God. And so it is awkward for us. And I've been there. I get it. And so this morning, I really just want to stretch us and ask us that question. How does my giving impact my faith? Is it all about me or is it all about him? So the first principle is this. We give to grow spiritually, not financially. The second principle this morning is this. God is not after my treasure. And sometimes that's what we hear when we hear the pastor talk about giving. God just wants all my treasure. God could care less about your treasure. He's not after your treasure. He's after your trust. God's not after your treasure. He's after your trust. And we even put it on our money. And God we trust. That very simple reminder every time we pull out some bills to pay for something, that we're able to see that line that says, and God we trust. Because he's not after your treasure. He's after your trust. Look, God's not like, hey, I need that money. It's, it's due on the first. Like, Make sure you get it in there. That's, that's not, and he doesn't get stressed when it, like, God owns everything. Okay, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He doesn't need my treasure. I'm not doing God a solid favor by giving him my money. That's not what he's after. He's after my trust. He tests us and he tests our hearts. Um, before, uh, here a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan and Daniel um, they just started riding the bus to school. And before that, we would, Manny would have to take them back and forth. And Mason goes at a different time. And so she would have to pick them up all at different times. And on Friday, what she would do is she would pick them all up. And then she would take them to the McDonald's there in Waynesville and get them cookies, the chocolate, you know, the warm, soft chocolate chip cookies from McDonald's. If they're warm and soft, if they haven't gotten stale in there since they've been there all day. But normally a warm, soft chocolate chip cookie and get them some sodas, some drinks to have. Just as a treat for Friday to take them home. And, and sometimes if I was picking them up on Friday that, that we would do the same thing. And I don't know if you've ever tried to take a warm chocolate chip cookie away from a kid before. Um, Mason will bite your finger off. Like, like it's, he's very like, that's my cookie, don't touch it. Jonathan just eats them so fast you can't even get one before it's gone. And Daniel, he just, he's kind of like a little quieter. Like he just silently eat. like you just forget that he's there eating his cookie. And then they're all gone. Right? But if only if you ever try to take a cookie away from somebody, I'm kind of like, okay, like I want a cookie. I pay for those cookies. Like it's going to be really awkward when people drive down the road and I'm wrestling and holding you down while I'm eating all your cookies because you didn't give me one. So give me a cookie, right? I, I just want one. I pay for this thing, right? And, but see, here's the deal. If I buy them a bag of 10 cookies, right, and I say, hey, dad's going to take one cookie. Out of your 10 cookies, I'm just going to take one. There's two different reactions they can have, Right? They can have the reaction of, man, my dad, I can't believe, he took a cookie. <laughs> How dare he take a cookie? What did that leave me with? Come on, a cookie, really? What a jerky move, dad, come on. They could have that attitude, right? Or they could have the attitude of this, my dad gave me nine cookies. <laughs> How awesome is that? I got nine cookies, like that's winning, that's awesome. There's two different reactions to that. Man, I can't believe my dad gets a cookie. Or, man, I've got nine cookies. That's amazing. And when it comes to God, I want us to think about it that way. 
we're going to talk about this. We're going to use this, this Bible word tithe, which really, it just means a percentage. And specifically, it means 10%. And what I don't want to get into is this legalistic idea of, okay, well, is it one cookie or is it a cookie and a half or cookie and a quarter? Is it a cookie before taxes or after taxes? Is it a, do I got a compounding interest on that cookie? Like, do I got to give it once a month, twice a month, four times a month? Do I do it quarterly? Look, all of that is where we've kind of got lost in the past in our churches. And we've lost sight of what it really is all about. What if, what if we said this? What if we stopped and said, okay, how many cookies do I need? Understanding that any cookie I have isn't from me. Like I didn't, I didn't make it. I, it was given to me. It's not even from me. And so how can I live in such a way where I become like the cookie guy? Like you get a cookie and you get a cookie and you get a cookie and you and everybody gets cookies, right? How, how can I live my life in that way where my hands are open and I'm like, hey, whatever is God put in here, I've got open hands. And like if I'm, what if it was like that with everything I own? And what if it was like that with everything you own? What if it was like that with our time? What if we live that way with all of our resources and all of our energy that, hey, nothing I have belongs to me. How can I live my life in such a way that it's just open hands and everything just flows through me to be a blessing to others, but in reality to be used to make Jesus famous. In Matthew, we just read it, but that last verse again, in verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters because he's going to either hate one and love the other or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. I don't know if you've ever had two bosses before. But if you've ever had two bosses, you had zero bosses, right? Because they just cancel each other out. Like it just, they just, they're always going and just undermining what other says. Here's the deal. We can't serve God and money. I can't live my life like this and say I'm serving God. Because what I'm doing is I'm serving my money. But if I live my life like this, it's impossible for me to serve my money. And it's impossible for me to serve me. Because my money doesn't control me. My finances and my resources, they don't control me. We have to choose. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says this. <clears throat> One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. Verse 25 of Proverbs 11 says a generous person will be um, enriched. Or that doesn't mean you get rich. What that means is your world gets larger. And the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. I love that. Verse 25 that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. If I'm living my life like this, my world's just going to get smaller. And here's why. If, I, if I'm living my life like this and, I, and you try to give me anything, you try to hand me anything, whether it be money, whether it be a blessing, my hands are like this. And even if you put it on top of my hand, the moment I drop my hands and walk away, what happens to it? It falls off. What Proverbs is saying is if I walk through my life like this, there's no way I can receive any kind of blessings from God, whether it be financial, whether it be through family or anything, because I'm holding on so tight to what I do have, and I'm so scared to lose what I do have, there's nothing else can fit in there. So the proverb is saying my world gets smaller and smaller to the point that all of my world happens, all that happens only can fit in here. 
It gets so small that the only part of my world, it only can fit in the size of whatever I can clench my fist around. But if I live my life like this, and I allow my life to just be a conduit and a filter where God is able to pour blessings and stuff out on me, where I'm able to pour that out into the work of God, into the ministry, into missions, into helping others. And this way my world gets larger and larger because now my hands are open to receive the blessings of God. And that's what the book of Proverbs is saying. And I've never met a generous person who is grumpy. Right? Think about the most generous person you know. The person who literally would just give you anything at any time because they just love people and they love God. They're not grumpy people. They're just so full of joy. Like usually the more generous a person is, the more joyful they are. And so under this second truth this morning is your world getting larger and larger. And I know it's weird math and it doesn't make sense. But the more generous I am, the more I remember that everything I own, I don't own. It's only on loan, and my world gets larger. So is your world getting larger and larger, or is it getting smaller and smaller? Because the more I get and I'm a miser or I grab onto it, I need everything, it's all mine, it's mine, then my world gets smaller, and it only fits in the size of my fist. Now, I know for some of us, this is crazy. Like, man, is this an infomercial for joy and excitement and blessings? No, it's not like that, okay? It's not, but I understand it is crazy, but here's who we are as a church. We're a community of people who are not trying to build big water fountains in the foyer or gold chandeliers in here or bigger, better programs. That's not who we are. We are a community of people who are committed to giving back in radical ways so that people can find help and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't give to get richer. We don't give to get more importance. We don't give because we think we're doing God a favor. We give and invest in the things of God so people outside these walls can find help and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a group of people who get addicted to seeing people find Jesus, to seeing people get baptized, to seeing people come and join our church, to seeing marriages restored and hope renewed. That's who we are. And we want to do whatever it takes to reach even one more person. Because if you remember from the first week, that's our tagline for this year. One more person. One more person to get saved. One more person I can talk to about my faith. One more person that gets baptized. One more person that joins our church. One more family that gets healed and gets put back together. Just one more. And the last thing under this, this principle here is this. We don't give to Morningstar Baptist Church. I want everybody, if you've ever thought of it that way, well, I give to Morningstar Baptist Church. Put that out of your mind. Because you don't give to Morningstar Baptist Church. When we give in this offering and we give back to God, we are giving through Morningstar Baptist Church. Because that's how God set up the church to be. God set up the church to be this filter and this conduit to send out, to get the message out. And he set it up where we don't give to the church, we're giving through the church. And God takes what we give and he helps us reach more people with the gospel both here and around the world. So we don't give to Morningstar. We give through Morningstar. So I want to give us some practical stuff this morning real quick. Just four steps. And everybody here this morning, you're going to find yourself in one of these four steps. And for some of us, the most painful part is going to be we're going to find ourselves in this first step. And that's okay. There's no judgment here this morning. There's, look, it's all about we're all on this journey together. We're all trying to figure this thing out together. And we're here to help one another. 
But wherever you fall in these four steps, the idea is that we seek God and go, God, what do you want me to do? And then we take that step. So the first step is this. Step number one, become an initial giver. Become an initial giver. Church, this is where the majority of us in here at Morningstar, where we're at right now. Because we're just like every other typical church. About 20% of the people do 100% of the giving. So this isn't meant to make you feel bad. This doesn't mean you're a bad person. Listen, it's just become an initial giver. And you say, well, how do you start? Here's the answer. Here's the secret. You start. Okay? How do you start? You start. A, a, a pastor, I heard this illustration before. He said there was five frogs sitting on a log. Three of them decided to jump in the water. How many are left on the log? Five. Because just because you decide to do something doesn't mean you do it. We have to start. A lot, there's been a lot of people that, that we've decided to do all kinds of, I've decided to lose weight. I've decided to be a better husband or a better wife. I've decided to go to church more. I've decided to start giving. But deciding it and doing it are two different things. We have to just do it. I want to be generous. That's awesome. Just start. There's 150 people on average here at Morningstar, but the majority have yet to give our first gift. And it doesn't make you a bad person. What it means is that you, maybe you've never been challenged or stretched to take that first step. Just by saying, hey, look, I'm going to take a step today. God, I'm going to take a first step. And here's why we don't sometimes, because we're embarrassed we never have before. So we're like, I just can't start now. Yes, you can. Just start somewhere. Because it's all about your treasure and it's all about your trust. The second step is this, consistent giver. Consistent giver. So this is after, okay, I've given before. So now your next step, for those of you who are like, okay, I've already given, now your next step is to become a consistent giver. Where I'm giving regularly. So if I get paid once a month, I'm going to give once a month. If I get paid twice a month, I'm going to give. I'm always going to be faithful in giving. Now I'm not talking amounts. I'm just talking about just giving and being consistent with it. Not just when I feel like it or when there's extra money in the bank, but because it's the right thing to do. So every time I receive the cookies, I'm going to give back some cookies. All right? Don't put cookies in the offering plate. I'll eat them. All right, but that's the idea, okay? Third step is this. Third step is when you pick a percentage. Now, here's where some of you are like, okay, I've heard this before, right? Here's where most churches start. You got to give 10%. Well, what happens is then people who can't, they don't give anything. Most churches are like, hey, we're going to help you start. We're going to pick the percentage for you. Well, number one, it's not my job to pick that for you. Now, does the Bible talk about a tithe and a tenth, 10%? Yes, it does. It does talk about that. But we believe the Bible does talk about that. But generosity is when you have that conversation with God, and you say, God, what do you want me to give? God, what is it you're wanting to stretch me with? And then we do whatever it is he lays on our heart. Here's why I'm not going to stand up here and say you have to give 10%. You know why? Because for some of you, God's laid on your heart to give 12. And so for you to give 10 would be for you to disobey what God wants you to do. So I'm not going to say you have to give 10% because you and God might be having a different conversation that I don't know about. The idea is pick a percentage and whatever God lays on your heart, then be faithful in giving that. So maybe we give occasionally, but we've never picked a percentage. But let's be honest. We pick a percentage with every other area of giving and spending in our life. 
When you went to the cell phone store and you're like, okay, you're looking at that cell phone and the package of how much that's going to cost you every month, what did you do? You looked at your budget, okay, how much can I, can I swing this phone with this package or maybe not? And you picked a percentage of what you felt comfortable with spending on a cell phone. You did it when you bought a house too. Or I should say the mortgage company did it for you. They said, hey, how much debt do you have? How much money do you have coming in? Here's the percentage in the area you fall in that you can safely spend on a house. We do it with our entertainment. We do it when we go buy a car. We pick percentages in every area of our spending, but we never do it with our giving. We never sit down and go, hey, what does God want to stretch and challenge me with to be a part of and be faithful with? But what if we said this year, God, what percentage do you want me to give of our finances this year? And evaluate that. Here's why that's important. Because what gets evaluated in our life gets elevated in our heart. What we evaluate in our life gets elevated in our heart. It takes a place of prominence. And so for most of us living our life like this, we never evaluate this because we're so busy holding on to it. But if we open our hands and say, God, evaluate my life. What is it you want me to do? What happens is this stops being elevated in here and he starts being elevated in here. Does that make sense? Because this stops running how I make decisions and God is able to live through me in all my decisions. Evaluate it because what gets evaluated gets elevated. And some of you might be like, I'm not ready to give 10%. Then pick something. Pick something. Maybe 4%. Just give something. What would it look like if everybody in our church right now that was giving kept giving at the same level? And everybody in here who's never giving a first gift just give some, gave something. What would that look like? How many more missionaries could we pick up and support? How many, how many more people could we reach here with the gospel? What, what else could God do if everybody just gave something? Like, I don't know what to do. Then just pick a percentage. We have a plan for our spending. Why not get a plan for our giving? Fourth step. Here's the last step. Opportunistic giver. An opportunistic giver. Here's what an opportunistic giver is. It's someone who says, okay, I've done this. Man, I've crossed that fear. I, I give. I give regularly. I've picked a percentage. I've made this a part of my life. But this is a person now gets, okay, I, I've already stretched myself, so now I'm looking for other opportunities. What's, what else is out there? What does this look like? It's people who say, I've got this much margin in my, and, and, and God's blessed me with this much extra. God, speak to me. What do I need to do with this? You know, I would, personally, I would love to be a million-dollar giver to missions. Missions is my passion. I believe if we're not a missions church, we're not a church. I believe if we're not, when we do, we support the, the Southern Baptist Cooperative and, and we even support a couple of missionaries um, through our own giving. But here's the deal, if we're not doing that, we're not a church. And I would love, personally for me to say, I would love to give a million dollars to missions. I don't have a million dollars yet, all right. But here's the deal, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to just be faithful to what God has given me. I would love for our church to be able to be a million dollar giver to missions. I know you're like, man, that's dreaming big. That's right. That is dreaming big. But we'll never get there is if as individuals we're living like this and as a church we're living like this. Opportunistic givers say, you know what, here's what we got. What can, God, what else do you want me to do? What else would you want for me and my giving? We give to Morningstar because we believe in what's going on and we believe in the vision here. So how do we get to a place where we live in such a way where we're looking for opportunities? We're looking for opportunities to invest and to give. And I don't know what step is comfortable for you. I don't know what step you're on. But whatever it is, take that step. 
Right now, we have a missionary down in Nicaragua, Brian Weed, that we're supporting. We're supporting Nick Larson um, up at Kent State with, with uh, his church planning missions up there. And we want to send people on a missions trip here in our church. So when was the last time you said, you know what, that would be a big step of faith for me to do this? That's exactly the point. It's a big step. It's a step of faith. Because we're in the business of being faith-raising, not fundraising. You'll never hear me get up here and say, hey, we're going to have a fundraising campaign. No, we don't raise funds here. We raise faith because remember, we give to grow spiritually, not to grow financially. So be consistent. And you're like, okay, well, there's no way 10% of my salary is going to work. I can't give that. Then what I'll do is I can just pray and ask God to lower your salary until you're comfortable with a certain level, right? But like, okay, I can do that. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that, all right? But whatever it is that God has laid, whatever you're, just give. Just start somewhere. And don't let numbers keep you from being faithful in that. Just give something. What if we said this, everything I own is really on loan, it's from God. How much do I need? And ask ourselves this question, do I need to raise my standard of living or do I need to raise my standard of giving? The economy is doing well right now for a lot of people. Job Unemployment is down, job market is up, the stock market for the most part is doing okay. And what happens when that happens, a lot of times we, the first place we look is, how can I raise my standard of living? But what if we stop living like that and go, okay, how can I raise my standard of giving? doesn't mean the amount. It just means can I be more faithful with that? Can I ask God to test me and to try me? What do I need to do? We're looking for 100% involvement in our church. The test of trust is, is the location of our treasure. The test of trust in our life is always location of our treasure. I'll leave you with this in Malachi chapter 3. God's talking to his prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7. And he says, since the days of your father you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. And then they ask a question. You ask, how can we return? God answers by saying, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Then they ask the question, this is back and forth, well, how do we rob you, they ask. Then God says, by not making the payments of the tithe and the contributions. And because of that, because you're living like this, God says, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. God says, you're suffering consequences of not being faithful, and yet you still are robbing me. And I love this verse. In verse 10, he says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Then God says this, test me. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. In verse 11, God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fail to produce food, says the Lord of armies. I'm going to come back to the test me part, but I want to focus on verse 11. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Church, there's a principle at play here when we're talking about our money and our treasure. When we live like this, God says, I can't pour out blessings on you in your life. And not only that, but God says there's a principle of the devourer. And what that means is that for some of us, when we don't live and God has our treasure, there's a devourer that comes for some of us. It's like a slow drip and it's like the money just doesn't last the whole month or other things start to happen and it's kind of slowly. For some of us, that devourer happens really fast. 
But the principle is this, no matter how tight we try to hold on to our treasure, no matter how tight we try to hold on to the things that we have, and we're like, I'm going to live for me, there's this idea that it's going to slip out of our fingers no matter what, and our fists are still closed. And God says, if you just test me, try me, see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't even be able to keep it. And he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will stand in that gap. I will make sure that that doesn't happen. And for some of us, we're like, man, why is things in my life just not falling into place? Not just financially. It might be other areas of our life. Could it be that we're holding on to our treasure too tightly? And the devourer is taking his toll on our life. And I love what God says. He says, test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life. You won't be able to contain it. That idea is see if I don't overwhelm you. See if I don't tackle you with my blessings. God says, if you work, then I'll work. What they would do is they would, they, in this area, they knew exactly what God was talking about. He said floodgates. Because they would try to capture the rain when it would rain. They would keep it in these retaining ponds and these retaining lakes. And then when it was a time of drought, they would open the floodgates and they let that water pour out to water their crops. And so they could have something to drink. And so God is saying this. He's saying, when you step out in faith, I will lift the floodgates. We want to be blessed with God, by God. Everybody here wants to have the blessings of God in our life. We're like, God, just a little bit more, please. Bless me, please. But the problem is all of our blessings are kept behind that floodgate. And for some of us, we'll never experience the blessings of God because we're not stepping out. My generosity, and I hate that word generosity because it sounds like I own it. My faithful giving unlocks the blessings of God in my life. But if I go through my life like this, I was like, I, I want to open the floodgates. I want to open this up and let you experience me on so many different levels, but I can't. And it's hard to understand. I get it that if we live with our hands open and we let whatever comes in our life, our time, our energy, our money, our treasure, pass through by investing and being generous, we, it's hard because we like, but I can't hold on to it. But what we're doing when we let it pass through the Bible says in Matthew, we read it, that we are sending that ahead. We are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. God's ultimate awesome retirement plan that we, we can't take it with us when we go here. No matter how much, you can have a million dollars in the bank. And when you die, they can even pour it in your coffin with you. But guess what? You're not taking it with you. But we can live in such a way where we send it ahead. And we can live in such a way that we're doing things for God and we're laying up treasures in heaven. So what would it look like if I stepped out? What would it look like if you stepped out and we just started giving something? Like, God, could you continue to help people find and follow Jesus through my giving? God, could you help people continue to find and follow Jesus through my serving? God, make me generous. Church, let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment this morning. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church, or today's message, visit morningstardayton.org and choose Contact Us.